Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Sex Editor Harriet Russell. How are you, Harriet? Yeah, good, thanks, John. Excellent. And Tom Dines, how are you, Tom? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Well, I'm not, you can probably hear I'm not, not that great yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel sorry for whoever used this studio after me. Their uh, cold is on the way. Um, you've written the cover feature this week, Tom, which is uh-huh, about yeah. the energy revolution. Another look at uh, renewables, which I think is something that we can't ignore anymore as I write about it in my editorial. Lots of big news around this, huge sovereign type news around this that we, <laughs> will, yeah. we will discuss. Um, Let's kind of whiz through the news section. Seven days. I mean, the, the interesting bits of seven days are, are the, the, the saga at the London Stock Exchange, which we've covered very briefly. Uh, the, the departure of Javier Rollet. Uh, go to the FT if you want to read the full insight on that story. It's, mm. it, it's a very strange and extraordinary story. Um, the, the big interesting thing, I think, in, uh, in seven days this week is the FTSE reshuffle. Um, who's coming in? Who's going out of the FTSE 100 and it's one of yours isn't it Harry that's coming in yeah it's uh, it's Just Eat that's come in at the expense um, I mean it's joined by others but it's at the expense of Merlin Convertec and Babcock mm. so Convertec is wound care yeah one, one that you would have used to cover uh, I actually didn't because they're a new, new enough listing no oh. Um, so that 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 was a that was a sparkling debut on the market. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did used to cover Merlin quite extensively, so uh, it's interesting to see that one drop out. And Babcock is something that you've covered, Tom, as well. In fact, That's you tipped right. it quite recently, and now it's fallen out of the FTSE 100. What are you doing, mate? I know. Well, it says something about our economy that a, a company that lets you buy pizza at 3 a.m. is worth more than a company that's in charge of nuclear de- decommissioning. Indeed. Let's talk about pizza at 3 a.m. Then. Yeah, I mean, it's been a huge market disruptor, um, and. I mean, obviously, the FTSE reshuffle is down to market cap. And as we astutely point out in seven days, it's uh, it's now given a bigger market capitalization to Just Eat than Marks & Spencer, one of, obviously, retail's biggest stalwarts. Yeah. So, so do, do, I mean, what are your views? I have views as a, a one-time user of Just Eat, a one-time and I never went back to it because I'm old school. <laughs> yeah, I've, I have to say I've never used it either. Um, however, uh Regular readers will know that in my recent look at ASOS, I made exactly the same point about their market cap relative to Marks and Spencer. ASOS can't join the FTSE 100 index because it's an AIM stock, but but uh, it's bigger than a lot of FTSE 100 yeah, companies. The point still stands, which is that online um, companies, on online retailers, are growing a lot faster. I think you have to account for a slight amount of sort of tech valuation in there, especially with Justy. Obviously, it pushes um, the sort of sentiment behind those shares a lot more. That's kind of not. Very very easy to reconcile with how much the company is actually potentially worth. I mean, so you might, you've covered this recently. In terms, you know, we, we obviously, when we look at companies in terms of their investment potential, we actually do look at valuation, even if the rest of the world no longer does. Um, just the, it does look expensive. It's always been expensive because it's primarily based on its technology, the valuation, um, which is not um, unusual. Um, technology. But there are lots of people doing the same thing. Lots of people doing the same thing. But I think what's clever is that Just Eat are absolutely ruthless about market position. And if they're not number one in that market, then they exit it completely. This is what happened with Benelux last year. They found out they were the number two operator there and they just shut the entire thing. They, they do buy companies as well if, uh, 
if yeah. that's what they need to get to that number one position. Historically, it's not been a hugely acquisitive company, but about a year, 18 months ago, the organic growth started to slow, which when you've got a company rated this highly, even the slightest miss in, in that kind of respect starts to really hurt the share price. And so they sort of did a, a pivot towards um, what they you know call bolt-on acquisitions or you know a mix of organic and acquisitive growth. It's all these corporate kind of lines that are spun out. They did skip the dishes um, in Canada. And then here recently, the CMA has just given clearance to their Hungry House acquisition as well. So. Hungry House is the it's number two, is it? Yeah, it's the second biggest. So that will just cement their position here even even better. Do we, But do we think that, you know, even with that mix of organic and bolt-on growth, that they can live up to their valuation? Or is this a kind of unicorn type story? No. That, that's going to, you know, mean that its, it's appearance in the FTSE 100 is brief? I don't think so. Okay. Because I think even even if people are sceptical about, oh gosh, you know, is Bab- Babcock going to fall out forever? How how can an engineer, engineer of, of that size just, just fall out um, at the expense of, as Tom says, a, a takeaway ordering service? I think it is indicative of the way that um, consumers operate and that will probably stand it in, in good stead for a while, even if the exact sort of business model itself is sort of a bit shaky. I've got to say I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, I, I was listening to Nikki Campbell, whoever, whoever it is that presents that morning show. They were talking about this and they were kind of like, uh, yes, it's great. You know, there was someone from the, uh, the Grocer magazine. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you know, you know, people don't want loads of leaflets and it's all changing. But, but you know, I, I still have like one takeaway that I like mm-hmm. for curry. Yeah. I don't need Just Eat as an intermediary here. It's true. It's not like the property market. It's not like, you know, so the comparison is being made with, for example, Right Move. I get that. Get all those properties in one place. You don't want to go trawling around loads of estate agencies to find the property that you like. Um, I get why a platform works. I don't get it here. I have a takeaway that I like locally for curry. I have if I want pizza, it's Domino's. But they're not. They're not presumably part of this. No, they're not. No. And what's interesting about Domino's, of course, is that the growth there is really maturing. Particularly in the UK, there's uh, they've had to do a lot in terms of sort of buying in growth there as well in order to keep the momentum up. And I think so far, Justy is in people's minds, it's it's doing the same thing as Deliveroo, which is putting everything in one place. Deliveroo's come under its own amount of scrutiny, though. Although this was another point raised on this uh, this uh, very inci- incisive uh, morning sh- radio presentation I heard about this, which was that that actually Justy doesn't have any of the delivery infrastructure. No, whereas it people like Deliveroo, Uber Eats do mm. right but that's you know at their own expense those companies aren't doing nearly as well um just eat has really taken the time to establish relationships with its restaurants and and it, you know the commission fees there have come under big scrutiny as well and it's trying to do things fairly and i think that will probably stand them in better stead compared to delivery delivery as people will be aware came under hugely negative press a couple of weeks ago for the accusation that you know none of this food is made on site and they're making it in some trailer somewhere and it can't be trusted. And I think if Just Eat can prove that it's operating at least in some sort of... So I'm sniggering because surely that applies to half of the takeaways in, in the UK. Mm. I'm sure it does. But, you know, these sort of startup companies are a linchpin. It's, it's the same way that Uber has come under, um, you know, massive scrutiny for for its corporate governance and, and its licensing in this country as well. So. Yeah, indeed. And the, the point I'm making my editorial is, you know, I, we often hear about the squeezed UK consumer, but but everyone's buying takeaways and more and more takeaways. Yes. Yeah, strange- this, this doesn't seem very cost effective to me. No. And strangely, I think um, Justy, I treat it a bit like a small cap. <laughs> I used to cover small caps, which was big you know, blue sky growth stories that didn't have a huge amount to underpin valuation more often than not. Um, but what they did have was um, 
a hugely compelling narrative and momentum behind the share price and it's about getting your timing right with this and I've bought it and I've come out of it and I've bought it and I've come out of it at different times in in the peaks and troughs narratives reminds me of something that a very wise analyst said to me once stories best left till bedtime (laughs) should we uh, we talk about Babcock which is one of the losers in the uh, the FTSE reshuffle Tom this is this is a company that you've you've been following recently we like it we do we do basically it's one of the few outsourcers that we don't think is tired with the brush of competing on price for for blue collar work. If you're if you're supplying cleaners, it's it's very easy to find someone else who can also supply cleaners for cheaper. Might be, for example. Exactly, yeah. So Babcock does specialised work. I mentioned nuclear decommissioning earlier. It's the sort of thing that it's easy to compete on price because not everyone can do it. There's not a huge market for it. Uh, so it it's so it doesn't just, compete on price. It, it competes on specialism. Yes, yeah, sorry, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yes, yes, you're yes. not forced to. Yeah, um, so that's the basis of our uh, of our buy tip on it. Is I think a lot of its weakness at the moment is probably contagion from the stories we've seen with Carillion into serve mighty, like you say. Yeah, when you say weakness, you mean you mean share price weakness, weakness rather than yes. any kind of operational weakness. Yeah, because yeah. we haven't Absolutely. seen that. No, I mean it's interesting uh, looking at the rise and fallers on the seven days page. That the biggest fall of the week is once again Carillion, which mm. has been an absolute horror story. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, I mean you know we 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 have discussed on on numerous occasions whether the outsourcing model. Uh, is broken. Mm. Whether whether actually this is this is simply uh, you know lots of companies underpricing uh, the, the 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 real cost of delivering these contracts, which they they say they will save money on for their often government customers. Yeah, uh, the UK government's one of the biggest customers in the world for outsourcing services. Indeed, indeed. So uh, so we still like Babcock, despite the fact that it's been demoted. Absolutely, yeah. Excellent. Let's stick with the news. Let's go to uh, a story that, uh, that that obviously has some uh, some implication for my uh, own personal um, habits, which is uh, your new spotlight, Harriet. Tell us about this. This is a really unusual story. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, it's not one that it's, you know ostensibly affects directly a listed company. We don't usually cover these sort of stories no absolutely not it's where totally... did you dig this up from <laughs> well it, it was just in the broadsheets uh, yesterday as we went to press so um so we looked at it and then helpfully some analysts sent over some stuff which um which pointed out that um pnh and that's palmer and harvey for anyone that doesn't know it's a wholesaler um went bust yesterday and it does actually supply ninety thousand retailers um so we looked at which ones specifically and the ones that really jumped out to us were people like McCall's. Uh, we've been looking at that stock for um, a little while now. We've been quite bullish on it, and it's it's turned out well, that tip. It, the shares there are up about a fifth um, since I recommended buying them. And then equally, it's a huge supplier of tobacco um, into this country, and there have been significant repercussions, therefore, for Imperial Tobacco. So, so this is essentially a wholesaler, cash-and-carry type business, a bit like Booker. Yeah, which it's a direct investor of Booker. Direct, is this good for Booker? It is good for Booker. Um, interestingly, PNH. Or Tesco. <laughs> Tesco now, yeah. Uh, interestingly, PNH had been very, very vocal about that Tesco Booker merger and had really lobbied for it to be disbanded, basically. Um, and it had failed, obviously, to do that. The CMA gave its uh, green light to that deal a couple of weeks ago. Um, and the tobacco companies, surprisingly, have been very forward in trying to prevent this collapse um but as i detail in the piece um particularly japan tobacco got very involved um but as negotiations progressed it it came to light that pnh's finances were just in absolute disarray so 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 the small 
retailers like McColls, for example, say small, they're quite a large retailer mm. now, but they're, but they're small stores uh, small around stores, the country. Yeah. Uh, but it also supplies supermarkets too. It P&H. does. Yeah, Sainsbury's. Sainsbury, okay. So, so you think the implications are less... Uh, significant for for the retail industry, more significant for the tobacco industry. Yeah. um, Julia also gave me a hand on this because obviously tobacco um, is sort of more her forte now, although I did cover them for a number of years. But um, but yeah, for retailers, the thing with McCall's that was pointed out yesterday is that unlike other retailers who are sort of in that same bracket, a good example of this was Poundland when they did their 99p acquisition a few years ago. That was that was just a really messy deal, and, <laughs> and the stock level on that was God, the pricing quandary that they must have faced. Yeah, I know. Is it pound or is it ninety nine p? But the big thing that really sort of mucked that deal up was that they just didn't get their stocking right at all, and the share the shelves were basically empty. Um, McCall's. It's very different. Um, it takes a very disciplined approach to stock, and the analysts seem fairly confident that stock stock supply shouldn't be affected in the short term. They've got two suppliers, haven't they? Yeah, Mainly. well, that's crucial. So Nisa, who people may be aware of from the attempt that Sainsbury's had um, a couple of months back now to take it over, um, Nisa supplies the remaining half of their estate. So it's thought, even though that agreement is actually due to end as they move to a new supply agreement with Morrisons, of all people. Um, they do think Nisa might step up to the plate and take on what they call the farewell business <laughs> on offer. Okay. okay. So they're not too worried about McCall's. But tobacco, that's that's a huge route to market that has just suddenly closed down. Yeah, so the numbers here are quite large. I was surprised at how large they were in terms of in terms of the hits to operating profits that someone like, for example, Imperial Brands, which you mentioned specifically, yeah. faces. Yeah, it's going to be 160 million to their operating profit. Bear in mind, Imperial Tobaccos is an absolutely enormous company. Mm. Um, I, I said 160 million. Yeah, it's probably not material. Shockingly, mm. um, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice to live in that kind of world. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things I think that finance directors always say, which is just you know zeros start to mean less and less. But um, yeah, it's it's a dent nonetheless to operating profit. And Imperial Tobacco really hasn't had the best year in terms of share price performance. Having said that, of course, the lower that the imperial share price gets, um, the better its dividend yield looks. And it's always been an income stock for us. So it uh, might still be worth looking at. Yeah. And, and, and actually, you know, in the context of the Book of Tesco deal, you know, actually, you know, the, the, the troubles of P&H kind of, kind of make, put this deal into a slightly different perspective. Yeah. But actually, you need a nice, stable wholesaler at the, at the centre of this market. Well, I mean, I, I start the piece by saying behind every well-stocked retailer is a reliable wholesaler or not as the case may be. Mm. And uh, I think that speaks exactly to your point, which is that Booker has always been sort of the star of the wholesale market. It's an absolutely great... How many times com- do I, ha- have I said I love Booker? <laughs> yeah, it's a great company. It's extremely well run. I mean, it's a credit to its management team more than anything else. Um, but wholesaling is, is fragmented. So I'm not surprised that some players are dropping out of the market. Whether I expected them to be of this size I, mm. I don't know um, but but Nisa is probably rejoicing because having lost a contract um, with McCall's you know it's now got the opportunity perhaps to pick up some some added business a- mm. as do other wholesalers in the market and so. raise the price for when Sainsbury's comes back yeah it'll be interesting for the tobacco trajectory though because um, tobacco has been a bit of a sticking point for wholesalers the sales there have obviously been extremely 
hurt by the new laws and regulations um, around display um, in, in corner stores. They've had to really scale back on that. So whether that whole route to market is going to be as reliable for the tobacco manufacturers in the future, I don't know. The so, end of fags. Yeah, I just think there's more uncertainty on the tobacco side than the retailing side. Interesting. Uh, I say I love Booker. It's a company I do not like is Centrica, which is the uh, the lead store in the news section this week, which you've covered, Tom. Yeah, you'd, a horrible you'd be a bit week heartbroken if you did love it, to be honest. So. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to re-examine your uh, life if, uh, if, if a Centrica <laughs> was something that you actually had any any love for. Absolutely, yeah. So they, they um, I forget if it was ended last week or began this week by um, introducing proposals for scrapping the standard variable tariff and basically sort of trying to beat the government to the punch when it comes to the price cap stuff mm. and then good luck with that I, well yeah quite but, uh, but more to the point it's just been a horrible week in terms of the numbers yeah uh, the they, share price has taken another beating uh i say carillion is the the biggest fall of the week Centrica's not far behind it's not far behind and it's had its biggest single day loss ever so it's in terms um, of the share price yes yeah yeah uh so yeah they basically they lost uh, 823,000 customers between June and October. It sounds like a huge number. It is. Well, even, as a, what, what is that as a proportion of their their overall base? Chunky. Uh, it's big. I'm not sure the exact number, but by comparison, the the losing customer story has been in the big six for a long time. Uh, SSE announced in the last year that it lost 410,000 recently. So even with that massive loss, this dwarfs that in a much smaller period. Management warned that it would damage the earnings per share, so it would end the year below consensus. And uh, they also stated the willingness to operate with dividend cover uh, from earnings below historic levels. Yeah, so, so that's that's the big story here for us, yes. which is that, that as that divi- dividend cover starts to look tighter, mm. our, our view is that that adds to the threat to the dividend. Now, they've said it's going to be safe. We're not convinced. No, we're not convinced. Neither are analysts at RBC. They've begun factoring in the risk of either a cut to the dividend or an equity raise. So it's it's clearly something that's in the... Uh, I said, I've got some shares in this company. <laughs> I'm not participating. <laughs> you have shares in a company you don't like. Oh, it's a long story. <laughs> I've like never bought now. them. I never actively purchased them. Oh, well, now you might be diluted as well. Yeah, so. indeed, indeed. I think it might be time to sell, which is the conclusion we've come to uh, yes. from a general uh, perspective. Yeah, there's there's just too much going against it. I, indeed, I've been looking at that share price, thinking, no, it's going to it's going to turn, it's going to turn. It can't get worse. Can't get worse. No, it's got worse. Can't get worse from here. No, it's got worse again. Well, they bet big on customer-facing operations, which has just been absolutely hammered, more or less, since they did it. So, so this is—I mean, we've talked about this—is the political risk. Uh, yes. And, and actually, you mentioned SSC in the piece, and they've gone for a slightly different approach, which has which has shielded them somewhat from this this political intervention that we're seeing. Yeah, SSC is in a better position generally because they have a large number of uh, wind farms, and so basically other parts of the business. They're not quite so customer-facing. They're also looking to spin out their. Uh, household customer business with NPower into an entirely new company. I can't, I think it'll be, the tick will be Glow or something like that. But oh, so it will be a listed company? Essentially, yeah, a listed JV, essentially? Yes, it oh, will be. Okay. And, uh, Won't be invested in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're an SSE shareholder, you own 65.5%, something like that. But yeah, so that's kind of their, their approach. They're just kind of getting out of the market, staying in business supply 
um, incidentally, but uh, it's it's just not the place to be at the moment. Yeah, you also covered the water companies in the results this week. We've had Seven Trends and United Utilities. Yeah, and uh, Pennon on Wednesday, but you'll have to go on the website for that one. Okay, operationally, those companies look all right. Yeah, pretty good. Um, they're really playing up their performance against their outcome delivery incentives at the moment. They have to submit five yearly business plans. The current ones run out in 2020, and so they're putting together their business plans to basically have their regulated revenues approved by Offwatt. Uh, but, so, but they've tended to do a better job of, of, of treating their customers, of, of, of achieving these operational targets, which are environmental and, and such like. Customer, customer targets, leakage, all this kind of thing. Just done a much better job of that. Customers don't really moan about the water companies necessarily in the same way they do the energy companies. Unless it's Thames Water, yeah. Unless it's Thames Water. Um, but the shares have taken a beating anyway in these. Uh, is it, do you think this is related to the kind of the, the Corbyn risk that we've we've been talking it, about for a while? It certainly seems to be from the from the analysts I speak to, and um, actually a number of readers who I've spoken to have been quite concerned about the risk of that. Um, it's something we'll be looking at in in a bit more detail. Um, mm. Having said that, though, Tom did write a sector focus a couple of weeks ago for us, which uh, which looked at sort of water regulation quite specifically, didn't it? So yeah, the. Uh, Basically, household no, not non-household. Sorry, water supply is going the same way as electricity supply and gas supply. So you can have uh, pure supply companies that compete on price and service in the same way as electricity and gas. And that's that's been interesting. You're already seeing people like um, U Group, a small electricity and gas supplier. Said that last week, didn't you? I did indeed, because they're looking to get into the water market. And then you, then all of a sudden, you have a business energy supply company which can do your electricity gas and water all in one and, th- and this makes it much more efficient as uh you, you know the, the price you can get as a, a, a kind of bundled buyer um absolutely saves, yeah. saves you some money same sort of trends in telecoms really isn't it absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. which was which was also something we wrote about in the news a couple of weeks ago the bundle yeah, uh, the bundle trends i mean let, let, while we're talking about energy centrica sell by the way sell yeah sell no seriously now. sell <laughs> right um Let's talk about your cover feature. This is also about energy. And actually, it kind of, mm. the, the two things, the, the story we've just discussed, Centrica and domestic energy supply, uh, and kind of some innovation around the business end of, of, of that market, and what you talk about in the feature, they're not, they're not a million miles apart. No, in fact, they, the, the drive towards more renewable energy infrastructure kind of feeds into the, the tough time that the bigger suppliers have been having. Because one of the, we, we pulled out three themes. So uh, flexibility, in generation, having many different sources, uh, from wind and solar to keeping coal and energy from waste, all that kind of thing. Increase of independent supply, which is a clear threat to these monolithic energy companies that you have at the moment. It's, it's interesting, before we get on to point number three, yeah. you sent me, uh, before, after we'd gone to press, you sent me an interesting story about these kind of uh, sort of locally backed, you know, lo- yeah. locally backed, I don't even know how to describe them. They, they they're of- essentially they cover the full gamut of energy companies so you have the most prominent example is robin hood energy in nottingham which is a council-backed uh i can't have their supply or generation but um there are examples of both across the country and so basically you can buy your energy from a company owned by the council which uh the argument is it's better the incentives are better aligned with the customers than yeah, absolutely. I mean, just going back to the Centrica story quite quickly, one of the big reasons you mentioned for the, the huge uh, hemorrhaging of customers is that mm. you've got lots of customers who are kind of pooling their buying. And, uh, yes. And those guys are sweet. And it's kind of, it kind of feels similar. It feels like it's part of the same sort of trend. Yeah, Centrica's actually tried to move away from that because it's 
it was just extremely low margin business and it really wasn't worth it for them. But then, but then they'd they be competing. So they're going to lose those customers. They're not coming back because, yeah. because those customers will perhaps go to something that's maybe a not-for-profits council-run energy utility. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Or even the smaller suppliers who don't have to impose the same policy costs in their bills as the bigger ones, which is a big point that Centrica makes in its um, policy proposals. It's not you end up with people at smaller supply, uh, people at large supplies, essentially funding the policy costs of people in smaller supplies. Yeah, so so I mean, what we're talking about in the cover feature has massive repercussions for the shape of the energy industry as we know it. Absolutely. Yeah. What was point number three? Energy efficiency. So it's not strictly speaking a renewable topic, but it's smart metering, all these kind of things, where basically getting more bang for your buck when it comes to your energy. And then it's the the other part of it is generating said energy in a more renewable and more distributed way. Mm. So, so the UK's energy policy, policy is, is quite frankly a bit of a mess. Attitudes towards climate change, which obviously this is all driven by, are somewhat fractious. So there are people who would su- suggest that this is all just smoke and mirrors. That's fair, yeah. Do, is this something we sh- do you think we should take seriously? As, an in- as investors... What what should we should we really be worried? Is this is this just another sort of hype story, or are there companies that are genuinely forging something here in terms of you know, growth opportunities? It's there's there's definitely a, a case for investing, regardless of how you feel about um, the extent to which the climate will change and that sort of thing. Because now you have um, solar and wind energy at grid parity. You have um, distributing distributed and independent generation which can offer you a better deal than than necessarily like a large coal-fired power plant being very widely distributed then emerging things like fuel cells which can help with efficiency in electric cars there's a lot of there's a lot of independent technologies that have quite compelling drivers behind them independent of the whole climate change angle though that is obviously a Mm. a large factor and it's something the government's getting behind obviously it released its industrial strategy this week clean energy uh and creating an industry around that and lots of skilled jobs around that is something Mm. that's kind of kind of key to that yeah electric cars too yeah so 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 yeah these companies could get support from not not just the market uh, and you know people who who want to save money which Mm. i think is often the, the main driver of the adoption of green technology certainly for me Mm. I don't put. I don't. I don't. I don't. I mean, I care about the planet, but I don't kind of care that much. But I do care <laughs> that I can reduce my my energy bill a little bit. So I'll buy a new boiler that's that's cheaper to run, or a mm. car that's cheaper to run, or new light bulbs that, that are cheaper to to op- to operate. But yeah, so the government is going to you know be behind some of these uh, these industries. Yeah, good news. Some of the companies that are listed on the market. And there's lots of lots of opportunities out there to get involved in this. Loads, uh, and they're very diverse. So it's it would be a mistake to think of investing in any one of these companies as as just a renewables play you need to know why you're getting into specific technologies and the promise of those technologies so there's more than one type of fuel cell there's more than one type of energy from waste which we wrote about recently uh, you have to approach it as very much a, a part of our diversified portfolio and really uh, understand the drivers behind it indeed i'd imagine we have lots of uh, readers and listeners who, uh, who who may have exposure to fossil fuels and uh, and mm. kind of the old the old energy business as we know it probably this it might be something to look at as a hedge against that definitely excellent thanks it's a great feature by the way thank you for, thank you thanks. very much and uh great cover this week i know you didn't make it but uh but our, our designer paramjit uh verdi has gone to town on this one he made he made that himself the image any reader can tell me what it what it references uh 
I'd be delighted if they get it right. Just organise a prize. I haven't got any prizes. I do have some prizes, uh, actually, in the secondary feature this week, which is written by uh, Stephen Eckert uh, of Harriman House. Um, it's about seasonal anomalies in investing, uh, which, which can be traded profitably. They exist. Uh, and we've got 10 copies of, uh, of the Harriman Stock Markets Almanac to give away. It's one of my favourite books. One of my favourite books is everything you need to know about the stock market. I mean, it really is uh, an, an incredible guide to, to, to trading throughout the year. So uh, 10 copies of that to give away. Get the magazine and, uh, and, uh, and make sure you enter. And if you don't, if you don't win, buy it. It's fantastic. Um, let's, let's round up uh, this podcast with a quick chat about some other stories. Harriet, uh, an old favourite of ours, talking of the promise of new technology, Ocado. Well, yeah, if you think Centrica's uh, one of the biggest fallers, what was one of the biggest risers? Or the biggest riser? Was it the biggest riser? Yep. It was, was it? <laughs> I looked up. It was the biggest riser. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that I don't believe you, Harriet. No, so. no, it's... Uh, so I, don't, I don't ever believe things that go on at Ocado. I find it a very strange company. It is a very strange company. Uh, it's been around for a long time. It's been listed probably now for 12 years. I can remember the no, famous... No, 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 it's not. It's not. What? Yeah, I wrote about this when it listed. It's been nine, eight or nine. Okay. It hasn't turned a profit in 11 years. Best part of a decade. It definitely wasn't profitable when it came to market. and Still isn't. Still isn't. I mean, technically it turned a profit last year, um, but then it made a loss again. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been lumpy to say the least. And I've never understood its accounts really and some of the things that it... No, because, some of the treatments that Yeah, it, that because it makes. it's technology and so the accounting sort of standards there are incredibly loose for want of a better term mm. um, in terms of how much you capitalize in terms of costs and all of that sort of thing gets very very complex so for the ordinary investor to understand it's not very transparent but um <laughs> a p.e ratio that's higher than the share price yeah was it 350 350 yeah. the share price is 308p yeah I, that's a good one i know it's <laughs> it's ridiculous the only at least it has a pe that means well, it's, well uh... yes i suppose there is that but there was a time when we used to think that 38 times for asos was ludicrous so mm. that makes that look tame by comparison and we, I think, we do live in a bitcoin world though harriet now we do i think the only one that's comparable in my sector is mulberry which is on a ridiculous valuation as well is that not because it's just always recovering yeah, basically. Although I I really like Mulberry. I it's on a it's on a return that one. And more importantly, to bring it back to current events, Meghan Markle has been spotted carrying three different Mulberry bags this week. By Mulberry. By Mulberry. But seriously, that, I mean, it, sometimes it's that simple. It really is with retail. Like I mean, it's <laughs> luxury retail. Luxury retail, especially, it can be shocking what that sort of PR can do. Mm. Mm. Talking of luxury retail, we've actually got results from Shaftesbury, uh, the property company, West End Property long-standing favourite of the IC, which if essentially depends on these luxury retailers. There is no sign that that's running out of steam. No, absolutely not. I think we discussed this on the podcast a couple of weeks back with Burberry. Um, uh, you know, Mulberry's slightly different, but Burberry and a lot of these luxury retailers, they have huge amounts of overseas earnings, which is driving a huge amount of momentum for their share price this year because, you know, it's uh, it's a weak sterling environment that works on two fronts. It works in translating results and it also works in terms of driving tourist shoppers to the UK. Indeed. And Shaftesbury is uh, the embodiment of that living proof. Let's get back to a car. We haven't finished with Ocado. <laughs> Let's maybe stop breaking Ocado with the coals. Yeah, it's so, so, so the big news is, so Ocado was, was an online supermarket. Mm -hmm. And it, it's never really, I mean, it, it's always growing, but, but never getting that critical mass it needed to break into profits. And therefore, had always had this sort of thing in the background that it was going to be a technology supplier to other companies. And nothing happened for years. 
Yeah, I and mean, now it's like, and now it's starting to happen. I think this is why people are getting excited again. Yeah, they went through. Obviously, they've been the um, they've had their own online operation, as you say, Ocado vans. When you see them around, and they also delivered Waitrose goods, which was sort of what they were trying to move more into on a permanent basis. Was doing that for all the supermarkets, and of course, at the same time, what they didn't bet on was that the supermarkets saw um, more sense in developing their own in-house technology and distribution and what have you to join the online revolution, as it were. Um, so for years, Ocado um, has been through the ringer. It signed a Morrison's deal under your favourite, Dolphin Phillips. Um, yeah. And yeah. that was quickly augmented under David Potts, who just saw that deal as far too bad for Morrison's and far too good for Ocado, finally saw sense. He was quite right. Yep. Uh, so that was tweaked and that was bad news for Ocado. Then they said, OK, by the end of 2015, we're going to have signed two deals. And more exciting than that, they're going to be international deals and we're going to go into Europe. And there was sort of a bit of scepticism and largely a lot of bad feeling over the fact that how on earth were they going to facilitate those European deals anyway um, from their sort of somewhat modest distribution um, at the time facility in the UK. Um, anyway, two years behind schedule, they finally signed those two deals. Yeah, we know we know one of them. Do we know both of them actually? We know one of them. Uh, that's right. In June, they announced the first one, but they've kept the name of that partner a secret. Why? Um, excellent question, John. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Um, this second deal is with a French chain called Casino. I know and, them. Um, yeah, I know them. Um, and then the, I think the big game changer this week as well was that there might even be a third deal in the new year, although no one from the firm has uh, has confirmed that either way. So, so have we just been too sceptical here? I mean, uh, the UK... Obviously, as a grocery market, is somewhat different to other markets in the world. Uh, you know, have we just have we just not given them the credit for having developed this great platform that actually does make sense when it comes to to, to online food retail, uh, and that this opportunity was always there? Other markets just had to catch up. No. <laughs> oh, that's very blunt. It is blunt because the thing with Ocado is that they're they're sort of good at this kind of like momentum. It's it's a fairly thinly traded stock. It's got huge short positions on it, which always make it very volatile on this sort of trading update. Um, every time they release a trading update, the shares go up, and basically. Um, in the long term, it's always down. <laughs> um, and the reason for that is, although they can sign these deals, they're never really very earnings accretive. Mm. Um, and by that, it, I just mean that it's not really going to make m- much of a difference to profits yet again. Um, and there's equal sort of um, mystery over this deal. Clive Black, who's one of my favourite analysts at Shaw Capital on the supermarkets, he is just as sceptical as I am, really, and says basically he's got absolutely no handle on how this is going to make a difference to Ocado's finances, at least in the short term. And by that, we're talking sort of end of FY19. Yeah. I, I, I would tend to agree with Clyde Black. I, I can't. Get, I've never been able to get. Well, I, I've never been able to get my head around the story. It's I'm going to just come out and say it, I've never been able to get my head around no, what, what the attraction of this company is. It's just an extremely expensive business model. You can sign all the contracts you want, but the amount that you have to spend in order to facilitate those deals is extortionate. And even this casino deal, they've said that's going to add another fifteen million to capex. Interestingly, Ian Smith uh, mentions in his taking stock column, Ocado, because they feature in the uh, industrial strategy document. There's a uh, there's a Arcado warehouse with a robot Robots. passing a man a screwdriver. <laughs> yeah, and 
the FT actually did a big investigation with them. Well, I say investigation, that sounds bad. They, they just went inside one of the warehouses last year and made this extraordinary video with all the robots whizzing around. You should definitely look at it. Cause it, it is it's definitely not a, a robot handing a man a screwdriver. Well, <laughs> this video on the FT was extremely impressive. And, it, and it's interesting because it's a trend in, in broader retail as well. Boohoo, for instance, are spending an awful lot of money. Um, they did a fundraising, in fact, to, to help finance it. Um, These are little boxes that whiz around, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, into automation. It's, uh, it's not quite robots, but... Uh, uh, but it's definitely automation. Yeah, I don't know. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. But you, you do wonder in the in the world of supermarket retail whether it's uh, it's uh, it's kind of overkill. Wholly necessary. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, do you wonder whether it's all a bit Heath Robinson? It's you know over over engineered. Yes. The, well. There you go. Um, let's quickly wrap up with a couple of results. We've got a little bit of time to uh, to uh, to go through the many results we've had. This I hope it, I hope it gets quieter. I really hope so. Couple of weeks. Yeah, it's, it's been uh, such a busy period i always know it's coming at the end of november and i never sort of realize how much there is i i, th- I think result season is like childbirth i think once you, you, go, <laughs> yeah, through, so you go through one and uh, you know some some endorphin type stuff kicks in and you forget how terrible it was <laughs> well and, and you do it all again october is so quiet you get lulled into a false sense of security mm-hmm. i think ah the wonders of october um yeah so harriet pick out result this week uh what do you fancy mother care go on then mother care yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good, unfortunately, which is a shame because I... Talking of childbirth, there you go. Nice yeah, thing. there you go. Yeah, Segway, segue. <laughs> um, It's a shame because I, I really do actually quite like the management there. Mark Newton-Jones is a bit of a veteran in the industry. Um, he's had about 30 years experience in retail, so I don't doubt that he knows what he's talking about. And he really is trying to throw the kitchen sink at this business to um, help it catch up. And in the UK, it's, it's not done badly, but they're just fighting on too many fronts, particularly internationally. It's just spreading itself way too thin. In, in my opinion, they've got this huge legacy estate, which they've done well to kind of close stores and and make savings where they can. But as I say, it's just it's it's a bunch of headwinds that they just can't control. It's uh, overseas is a franchise model, is it not? It is a franchise model, but they're just the victim of really sort of downward consumer trends in the Middle East, which obviously has a lot to do with the state of oil and everything out Rush, there. Russia was always a big market. Yeah, Russia's a huge market and they've had real trouble there with, um, well, they used to have trouble with currency a, bu- a couple of years back. Um, and this year, strangely, uh, it's always u- trotted out here as an excuse. But uh, Mr. Newton-Jones was explaining that weather there has been a, a massive problem for them. And retailers blaming weather. Yeah. My, one of my pet hates. Well, he just hey, said... In Russia, <laughs> he said it has really. Uh, they had a very, very cold summer, apparently, very unseasonable uh, summer. So, so sell, some, sell some babies' jumpers, and yeah, they just don't stock them at that time of year, though. Well, we so said their, their supply chain is not up to That's speed. That's the then. problem. Well, this is when retailers are blaming weather, what they're effectively saying is we don't have the right type of thing in store that people need at that time. Mm. Now, this is interesting because this is a model that Burberry has transitioned to to bring it back to them, and it's called see now, buy now, or where now, buy now. Um, which is that Burberry has done away with the whole spring, summer, autumn, winter um, sort of uh, segmentation that happens throughout the year. And now they just produce collections because they see it as their business is so global. It's global. So you have every season. Every season in every hemisphere. All at the same time. Yeah. So they might as well just produce one collection and sort of see what sticks, really. Is, is Mother Care also the victim uh, like pets at home? Which is also covered this week. In fact, you wrote pets. I know, a little I nice uh, jaunt into the retail sector there for you, Tom. It's not my normal area. But, not really, uh, but uh, you know, you must love you must love animals. Any any time I can write about dogs. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the problem here is the internet. The problem here is a cardo, I think, and Amazon, obviously. For, for pets at home, 
Interestingly, it's, I know that Ocado is um, yeah. yeah, is a big problem. Tell us about bets at home. Yeah, they they jumped in August because they put out a pretty positive trading statement, and then promptly reversed with the release of the results uh, this week. Basically, um, profits are down. Also, the um, non-executive director who was appointed by KKR, the private equity firm, has resigned. They've opted not to replace him. So that's that's a worrying sign. Well, they've started selling down their stake. Yeah, but yeah. again, a slightly worrying sign. Yeah. <laughs> it's an, a, an overhang exists yeah. there. Um, also, the, um, the chief executive has decided to leave uh, to pursue personal business projects. And it should be pointed out that that is the second chief executive departure in two years because this field trip that I refer to was actually done by Nick Wood, who was the previous chief executive to him, and he'd been with the business for years, showed us around the store, very enthusiastic, very confident about the future, and he resigned about three weeks after that visit, so uh, wow. for the same personal reasons. So It's, it's funny because, because, I mean, yeah, the internet you know, obviously affects uh, what it can charge for sort of consumables as it were you know mm. hay or whatever it might be um but you can't buy a fish on the internet or can you i you don't probably could oh you probably That's could you? i don't know you can buy anything on the internet yeah. these days especially got to bitcoin um, <laughs> <laughs> um but, but 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 the service side of this business is quite good yeah that's and, and, and i don't understand you know that you would expect this to be kind of plugging some of the some of the the, the the gap that's being created by the pricing pressure from internet competitors it's definitely growing um i just don't think it's caught up yet mm. I, I also wonder if they've slightly got their property strategy a bit wrong i do wonder that actually um, going into these thoughts yeah they've They've really made an, an, a consolidated effort to move their stores into what they call retail parks. So, you know, those big sort of obnoxious um, mall sites on the side of motorways and stuff. And, yeah, it's, and, the, it's next to Wix, actually, well, which, yeah, is, which is why I was buying hay, because I was actually going to buy some paint. Yeah, and you get like B&Qs, and usually there's a Next and possibly a Marks and & Spencer, and it's all yeah. your stand. But they're all on one specific retail park, which you have to drive to. To get to them on the mm. bus, believe me, as I did, is a task and a half. That is true. Um, That's true, and actually a lot of pet owners... I like it to be older people. Right, exactly. Mm. And I know that there's this thing that if you're going to be buying in bulk, you have to take a car anyway. But actually, I suspect they miss out on a lot of passing traffic. I think you might be right there, Harriet. Pets at home, give us might a call if you want a consultancy fee. Well, you know where to send the cheque. <laughs> <laughs> or, or a free rabbit. I'll do it for a free rabbit. Oh, come off it there. It costs about 15 quid. Oh, yeah, but like free for life. The insurance, the hay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair. Yeah, the hay's not cheap. Jesus. Yeah. Who'd have thought grass could be so expensive? Not the kind of stuff you buy on, Bit- on Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I think that's enough for now. We've covered we've covered lots of ground there. We've been everywhere. So uh, thank you, Harriet, and thank you, Tom. Uh, thank you all for listening. There's plenty more in the magazine this week, uh, aside from Tom's excellent cover feature. Uh, the sex focus is interesting. It's on uh, asset finance. It's a kind of interesting niche part of the banking industry. Uh, and we've also got results from Paragon. So, yeah, lots around that. That sort of slightly strange end of the banking market that I don't think is especially well understood. A stock screen from Algie Hall, seven high-yield small caps. Uh, it's been an absolute storming performer of a stock screen. Have a look at that. Loads of results, as I said. Lots in the personal finance and fund section, uh, which they will discuss on their podcast tomorrow, including lots around buy-to-let and whether it's still uh, a viable uh, investment. And lots actually still in the news section, which we haven't discussed, including a very interesting thing about Shell's decision to uh, no longer enforce the payment of its dividend through Scrip, which is uh, another share that I own. We'll carry on reinvesting the dividends and compounding up. Thank you very much. So thank you all for listening, and we'll be back again next week. Only a couple more till Christmas. The Energy Revolution, profit from the unstoppable master of green technology, 4.90, all good news agents, or get online and subscribe. See you soon.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.